It's not a one country thing, it's an African agenda. This is African Insight with Derek Mazarura. We embody comprehensive assessments of infrastructure projects on the African continent and all issues related to African development, inclusive landmark impulsions for Africa. Welcome to African Insights with Derek Mazarudam. On the show, we unravel the nexus of infrastructure and development on the African turf. The first in a series of workshops intended to support the implementation of 16 major water infrastructure projects recently took place with the will to address slow rate of Africa's water investments. Joining us this hour to help unpack the conversation is firstly Dr. Towela Nyerenda Jere, Head of Economic Integration at African Union Development Agency, NEPAD. Secondly, Mr. Alex Simalawi, Executive Secretary of Global Water Partnership Africa Coordination Unit. Thirdly, Paul Orengo, Director of Programs at the African Ministers' Council on Water, a specialized institution of the African Union mandated to advance continental water and sanitation sector development within the framework of the African Water Vision. And lastly, Dr. Saka Bernard Nsaidzide, a Cameroonian with a PhD in governance and regional integration from the Pan-African University created and funded by the African Union Commission. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Um, my name is Towela Nyiranda Jere. I work with the African Union Development Agency heading the Economic Integration Division. My name is Alex Simalawi. Uh, I'm the Executive Secretary for Global Water Partnership, uh, Southern Africa, uh, and also the Head for Global Water Partnership here, Africa. Hi, Derek. Thank you for having me in this panel, and good to have Alex and Dr. Toela as well. Alex, you can get the ball rolling. Construct a narrative setting out Pider Pub 2 cardinal features in regards to water infrastructure projects. Yeah, th- thank you, Derek. Um, uh, I will start and then invite, of course, my colleague from the African Union Development Agency, Auda Nepad, uh, who is going to uh, elaborate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I know in terms of the uh, water projects within the Peter Pap 2, that they are uh, reflected. The Peter Pap 2 is the program for infrastructure development in Africa. Uh, priority action plan for uh, phase two for 2021 to 2030, which is coordinated by the African Union Development Margin Agency, Nepad, in line with their mandate given to them by the heads of states. And, and the PIDA program has uh, uh, four sectors, uh, ICT, transport, energy, and water. So water is uh, part of the portfolio of projects that uh, Aouda Nepad uh, is coordinating under the PIDA PAP2. And, and the Global Water Partnership is, is, is uh, a partner that is collaborating and supporting Aouda, Aouda Nepad with technical assistance mm-hmm. uh, to help advance uh, the preparation uh, of the water projects within a PIDA PAP2. Uh, so perhaps now I can... Uh, I invite my colleague Toela to speak a little bit more in terms of 
how water actually is profiled within the Peter Pouchon. Okay, thank you very much, um, Alex, for that introduction. So in terms of um, Peter Water Project, um, as far as the second priority action plan, um, I think it's important to mention the fact that um, in developing the second priority action plan, there was a concerted effort to make sure that water projects were adequately represented, mm-hmm. um, comparing to how perhaps they might have featured in the first priority action plan, especially recognizing the fact that um, uh, water continues to be uh, quite an emergent issue um, across the continent. Um, and at the time of submission for the PDPAP 2 consideration, we had a total of 42 um, water projects, um, uh, which was definitely more significant than the nine that we had in the first priority action plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, at the end of the day, um, in terms of the um, final uh, pipeline, we actually have 16 um, water projects that have been endorsed um, by the heads of state. Dr. Toela, explain other NEPAD's role to develop capacity in member states to support water projects. So what we do with Azadia NEPAD, um, our, our mandate obviously is to help these projects to move um, from you know, whatever stage they are, uh, whether it is the, in the conceptualization stages, whether it's the pre-feasibility or feasibility stages, and help these projects to move to bankability and then onwards to full implementation. Mm-hmm. We recognize and acknowledge the fact that um, uh, for a lot of projects, challenges are usually in the early stages, in the pre-feasibility stages, because these being transboundary projects require a lot of um, early engagement and coordination between member states in terms of agreeing on the modalities of implementation and the resourcing of these projects. So as AVD and EPAD, uh, what we focus on um, a lot is this early stage project preparation work, uh, working through various instruments that we have, such as the service delivery mechanism that provides um, technical assistance and, and advisory support to member states to help them in terms of um, adequately preparing these projects so that they can attract project preparation funds. Mm-hmm. So we do that um, by um, directly providing this um, capacity in terms of technical capacity that um, um, accompanies the various project owners in terms of the project preparation. We also provide capacity building um, as needed um, in terms of um, whether it's PPP training or training in other aspects. Uh, but we also work with other partners like DWP and, and GIZ in terms of addressing specific policy issues that may be obtaining um, in, in the water sector and that are required um, to be addressed in order for these projects to move forward. Alex, your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think just to emphasize also, I mean, uh, like my colleague has mentioned, is that um, uh, transboundary water projects in particular uh, find it very challenging um, by, by the fact that they are shared by member states, several member states. Um, and of course, this brings uh, a lot of complexities around how the project should be structured mm-hmm. uh, when it's owned by more than one member state. Uh, because these are often very large projects uh, that also involves government, uh, di- uh, different uh, agencies, including their foreign affairs, treasury, finance, uh, in addition to the water ministries, uh, to coordinate across the different countries. Uh, and that brings all its, its own unique challenges, where, for instance, how do they obtain financing uh, when, for instance, they have the different political environment in terms of their 
uh, political economy in each country is different. Uh, the, the level of uh, physical capacity also might be different among the countries, um, uh, with some countries maybe having uh, uh, resources, while maybe the other countries not having the financial resources, or maybe mm-hmm. having uh, budget deficits. So structuring a project becomes uh, not an easy thing to do, um, uh, and for water, because most of these are shared. Uh, and the need for developing the capacities is thus is thus necessitated uh, for for the member states uh, to be able to explore the different perspectives of around how to prepare a bankable project uh, that can attract financing uh, from development finance institutions as well as pri- pri- from the private sector. Uh, so, as the Water Partnership, we, we are collaborating, of course, with Aundanepad uh, to try and see how best can we assist member states. Uh, not only in helping to conceptualize these projects better at the very beginning, uh, making sure that all the key eligibility requirements for financing uh, are taken care of, that, that finance institutions would, be, would, 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 want to, would, would want to see that they're taken into consideration. Uh, key aspects like cross-cutting issues like gender are properly integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and also trying to see how best to help them with transaction support, particularly uh, when the project is now going for financial structuring, how do you support the member state that they can have various transaction support services to be able to uh, to structure the project and obtain the financing that they need? Paul, would you support the notion that slow rates of Africa's water investments, spotlight, or are attributable to loopholes in policy framework and bureaucratic red tape surrounding water utilities? Well, um... I guess this notion is true, um, but it might also be, um, you know, um, a misplaced misunderstanding, kind of. Uh, but I, I say on one part that it's true because um, increased water sector investments um, actually presents itself a unique environment, a unique setup and unique situation that has never been experienced before. And uh, looking forward with the ambition that we have uh, within PIDA and the ambition that we have within the AIP, mm-hmm. I, I think we are likely to see um, unprecedented growth. And, and that brings with it uh, the call for a new policy regime. A new policy regime that um, recognizes the dynamism with which the African water investment um, needs to be done, uh, the policy instruments that uh, bring on, brings on board the private sector, uh, a policy instrument that um, allows individual countries um, and, and members of the African Union to mop um, capital from within and, and, and within their borders and from mm-hmm. their individual citizens. Alex? Yeah, thank, thank you, Derek. Um, in one part, yes, uh, that's correct, but not always the case. Uh, there are several reasons why uh, projects are, are, are slow. Uh, first of all, by their very nature, they are very, they tend to be large and bulky, mm-hmm. uh, as, as, I, as I attributed already. Uh, so, because of that very nature, that they are large projects and bulky. Um, the feasibility studies, for instance, alone will take much, much longer 
uh, because you have to interrogate all the different aspects, uh, including the environmental consequences of, of some of these projects, and also uh, see the impact on the beneficiaries, who are the beneficiaries of these projects. Uh, so by their very nature, they are complex, uh, so they are not easy projects to easily undertake. Um, so the, the preparation on the feasibility studies itself by nature uh, is bound to take long. Mm -hmm. uh, the water ministry, for instance, in a particular country may not be the only one that needs to, to give a go ahead to the project. They have to consult with the Ministry of Environment, for instance. They have to, to consult with the uh, local government uh, where the project is located. Uh, and, and all this requires getting the necessary licenses, the permits that are needed in addition, in, in, in accordance with the, the regulations of, of, of a particular country which are not necessarily the same with the other country maybe who is also sharing the same project. But also the clearance from the international finance partners, the DFIs, because they also have their own conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, before they can approve the project, they have to come and revisit their project, they have to do an appraisal uh, to be able to see that whether this project really meets their financing requirements. Dr. Doela? There's such a multiplicity of, of actors and factors that are involved in terms of getting these projects to bankability and, and to, to, to be implemented. I think that um, the, these complexities perhaps are also more magnified when we start talking about um, transboundary water projects such as PETA projects are, because they are now dealing with these things, um, not just at the level of um, you know, you know, domestic issues in one country, but really looking at issues um, touching on more than one country. So mm -hmm. in some sense, I suppose when we are talking about um, these regional projects, issues around um, policy coherence and harmonization at a regional level um, can sometimes be an issue in terms of, you know, if, 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 the, um, project, if the countries or member states are not um, harmonized in terms of um, their, their policy, legal or regulatory environments. And I think that's also an area that we do um, touch upon when we are doing this early stage project preparatory work, um, coordinating with regional actors, including the regional economic communities, um, to help us in terms of advancing the case for harmonization um, at a regional level. Um, this harmonization also touches on issues around, for instance, PPP frameworks, um, which again might be different from country to country. And, and if you have countries that are working or you know, wanting to implement a, a regional project, and yet they have different approaches, perhaps to how they deal with PPPs, for instance, that mm -hmm. could also be a potential um, um, source of delay in terms of getting the projects to bankability. And again, that is something that we would aim to address through the service delivery mechanism and through the transaction advisory support. And we do have um, quite a number of mechanisms um, to sort of uh, help us with that. Um, one or two that I could mention, for instance, is um, the Presidential Infrastructure Champions Initiative, where we um, uh, would um, engage heads of state to champion a, a particular project um, and help that project um, in terms of garnering the requisite support for it to be um, um, implemented. Another one that I want to mention, and, and Alex perhaps will want to speak to this a little bit more, is mm -hmm. that in the context of the um, Africa Water um, Investment Program, we are looking at a mechanism um, to have a scorecard that would also help us in terms of um, communicating um, at a very high level to our um, heads of states 
the advances that are being made in terms of project implementation, but also highlighting perhaps for their attention, some of the challenges and issues that projects are facing, so that in that way, they would also then be able to use their positions um, to sort of help us to move these projects along. Mm-hmm. Alex, your perspective on communication with governments? Yeah, thank you very much, Derek. Yeah, absolutely. I think ultimately, uh, because water projects, uh, these are large projects, ultimately, it's the government's responsibility that is uh, 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 and mandate uh, to, to, to provide support, uh, to provide water to its, to its citizens. Uh, so when there are large projects like we, we tend to find in transboundary water projects, uh, obviously engagement at the, at the highest level of government, uh, the head of state or the prime minister, uh, is, is required. Uh, so, uh, but also what we've also realized is that sometimes at that political level, uh, uh, there isn't much information on, on what is really causing some of the delays mm-hmm. uh, to mobilize investment. Uh, and, and how some of those uh, delays can be, can be, can, can be, can be tackled to, 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 to assist for the project to move forward. Uh, so this is why I think, as my colleague Toela has mentioned, um, uh, there is uh, our Udane part in partnership with Global Water Partnership and, and other partners that include the Development Bank of South Africa, DBSA, as well as Africa Development Bank and the African Minister's Council on Water, uh, AMCO, uh, is developing the our Africa Water Investment Scorecard. Um, and, and the idea of the scorecard is to actually uh, assist to track uh, investments, the level of uh, investments that are going to water at the country level, uh, identify where the bottlenecks are and what solutions uh, needs to be done or needs to be implemented to uh, address the bottlenecks and move, mobilize uh, or attract investments. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that the scorecard will, have, will comprise very few highly selected targeted indicators uh, for, for different countries across Africa and different river basins. Uh, and these highly uh, summarized uh, indicators would be then reported uh, to the AU heads of states uh, through our an effort uh, to inform the heads of state in terms of how different countries are making progress on mobilizing investments. Alex, what preparatory efforts have been embarked upon with heads of states in terms of policy to ensure compatible and sustainable regional and transboundary water cooperation and partnerships. Yeah, thank you, Derek. Uh, so, so I think in terms of the bodies' perspective, um, uh, the different African uh, uh, different bodies across Africa, particularly led by the regional economic commissions, uh, like such as SADC uh, in this in southern Africa, uh, the Economic Community of uh, West uh, African States (ECOWAS). Uh, in, in West Africa, the Economic Community of Central African States in, 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 in ICAS in, in Central Africa, the Intergovernmental Authority, IGAD, in, 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 Intergovernmental Authority on Development in, in East Africa, AIGAD. So these regional economic communities recognize the need for strengthening the leveling environment uh, for water at the regional level. Uh, because as we've already mentioned, uh, many Africa, over 50, mm-hmm. uh, uh, river basins across Africa are shared by different countries. So at the regional level or sub-regional level, there's of course uh, the uh, static protocol uh, for uh, international waters uh, that has been developed. And, and the protocol is really what guides uh, the different member states uh, in terms of 
negotiations around um, uh, transboundary water management, which is shared. So the Global Water Partnership, of course, has been supporting uh, SADIC at the regional level in implementing that protocol. Uh, and that protocol is ultimately uh, also implemented with, by, by the countries through the different river basin organizations. Uh, for instance, in South Africa, you have the Orange River Basin Commission, or RASECOM, mm-hmm. uh, which has been say, established by, by, by uh, South Africa and, uh, and, 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 and Lesotho, as well as um, uh, Botswana and Namibia. Uh, so they follow the guidelines of the protocol and they, uh, we've been involved with them in terms of training us, uh, the legal people from the different countries in terms of understanding the protocol uh, issues around the negotiations for international waters and shared waters. Uh, so these are aspects around enhancing the enabling environment uh, tools such as the static protocol really helps. But in addition, you also have the regional water policy uh, that study has developed and this is not only unique in, in, in Southern Africa, you also have in, in Central Africa, where there's also developed a regional water policy for mm-hmm. integrated water system management to provide guidance to the member states. Paul? Uh, I, I, I think so much has been done uh, to this point, uh, but again, a lot still needs to be done. Um, one, uh, I think... I would speak from the most recent uh, to some of the earlier interventions. Um, the AIP in itself, while it speaks about the water infrastructure, I mean, you cannot talk about transboundary water infrastructure or investing in uh, transboundary basins, mm-hmm. uh, water infrastructure along transboundary water basins, without necessarily looking at the transboundary uh, cooperative instruments. So I, I think the AIP that was um, uh, passed, adopted by the heads of states uh, in February this year, is perhaps the most recent um, ambition and, and intention by the heads of states to um, extend the tentacles and ensure that transboundary cooperation uh, across Africa is done in a way that feeds into the continental development um, uh, agenda in this case the agenda 2063 of the african union mm-hmm. but before that uh, I, I i think we all understand the africa water vision 2025 um, that uh, was also given unto ourselves as africans to guide uh, the sector development in which we had as a continent uh, given ourselves specific targets that we really want to achieve and where we want to be by the year 2025. We're going to take a quick break and after the break, conflict resolution issues concerning the Grand Renaissance Dam on the Blue Nile, regional and economic integration, domestic financial markets for water investments, planning and preparation, and Oda Nepot's service delivery mechanism. Join us after the break. About the people. In as much as we are one continent, but I think realities in the respective countries are different. The IFFs represent a major drain in capital revenues in Africa. Because without the political will, no major efforts can be made. Please rate Africa's confidence in China 
are our people in safe hands? Nigeria, like other African countries, have been in bed for lack of a better word with Chinese. Jurisdiction and, and framework to what extent? African governments, African states are increasingly failing their populations. We have a very high appetite for foreign debt. You and me make Africa. And, and we have, we have a, job a job to do. To African Insights is a show that constructively assesses all issues, infrastructure and development across the African continent. Join me, Derek Mazarura, every Wednesday morning at 8.05 CAT. Together, let's find solutions for Africa. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Derek, and uh, good to be back on the show. If you're just joining us, we are focusing on Program for Infrastructure Development in Africa Priority Action Plan 2, with particular focus on slow rate in Africa's water investments. Dr. Saka, how can conflict resolution with such issues as concerning the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam on the Blue Nile be modeled so that such do not militate against regional and economic integration? Personally, I think that the question of the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam on the Blue Nile uh, is one in which we have to really, as Africans, uh, develop a kind of... Um, uh, perspective, uh, which I may call uh, collective, you know, heritage mm -hmm. uh, for humanity. And in this case, we're looking at uh, countries uh, that do contribute and that do benefit directly from the Nile. Uh, this could include Egypt, uh, Sudan, and uh, Ethiopia. And so when we have initiatives um, like the Grand Ethiopian Resistance Dam, you know, you see that um, it would just be futile as far as efforts towards regional integration are concerned for one African country uh, to want to really have that kind of dominance um, at the neglect of other African countries. So the most important thing to do at this point in time is that it is really uh, imperative to have a comprehensive agreement between Ethiopia, Egypt, uh, Sudan, mm -hmm. over how to better, you know, uh, access, uh, utilize, control, or really uh, harness the Nile uh, water for the benefit of all Africans, irrespective of the countries where they may find themselves. And I think it's also going to be a bit selfish for an African country, especially one that should be in a leadership position like Ethiopia, to really uh, fail to succumb to a more, you know, amicable agreement that uh, really takes cognizance of the um, realities and, of course, peculiarities mm. of other African countries such as Egypt and, and, and Sudan, and historically looking at the fact that these countries and their people who are all Africans uh, do highly depend on the same Nile for their survival. So I think it's about understanding our 
collective um, really uh, uh, heritage you know as far as the dam is concerned mm -hmm. also in what we call the ubuntu spirit uh, understand that uh, ethiopia uh, can only be because Egypt is there and Egypt is there because Sudan and Ethiopia are all there and in this spirit uh, we would be sure that any agreement, any efforts, any initiatives uh, arrived at or been driven by any of these countries uh, should really be uh, beneficial to all of those uh, who are living in these countries. Paul? Derek, I... I, I, my answer to the um, conflict uh, resolution or management, I would, I would call it conflict management rather than resolution, uh, in the case of uh, the Ethiopian Guard or similar uh, contestations in future. Well, I, 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 I first have to say that um, from my hydro diplomacy experience, my water diplomacy experience, um, we, we do not have as a reminder, we do not have many cases where water contestations have actually resulted into actual war. Of course, a lot mm -hmm. has been said that um, the guard or the next world war would probably be about water. Uh, but history again judges us differently that we do not have um, a long list of cases where water contestations across the world have resulted into actual war. So, so um, um, as an African, I remain optimistic that even the guard case will not uh, ultimately mutate into um, a military uh, contestation. Uh, but again, in answering this, uh, conflict management or um, resolution in the case of not just the guard but similar situations, mm -hmm. I think can best be answered by science and diplomacy. Science. Uh, in, in the sense that um, what is actually being contested uh, is the data, uh, who, whose data is more superior than the other. And how do you uh, bring on board all the parties in a way that they accept a single um, set of data? In a situation that you have a basin, a water basin, and uh, 10 countries, for instance, uh, along that basin, and each one of them generates their own models and simulates the flows, simulates the eco-deficit, simulates the um, environmental impacts, anthropogenic factors, the climate change impact, evapotranspiration, and those kind of issues. And each one of them makes decisions on account of their own data sets. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that can be a very chaotic framework. Paul against the backdrop of a somewhat tardy water investment climate least particular progressing aspects in water investments on the continent stating why it has been so and how the methods in question could be standardized upon and what modalities can be employed to attract domestic financial sources now one one progressing um aspect of water investment in the continent, I think, has been uh, the uh, increasing uh, good cases of um, the private, the PPPs, uh, public-private partnerships, mm -hmm. resulting into um, uh, build 
operate and transfer BOT uh, kind of situations where the private sector comes in in a negotiated arrangement with the government to put together a water investment um, and operates for a particular period of time to uh, recoup their capital and transferring the infrastructure back to the government. Um, uh, we have seen uh, such cases uh, getting along in Africa, even though this is um, a most recent kind of uh, arrangements that are just beginning to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, we do not have a long list of uh, mature uh, arrangements of this kind, but uh, the list of uh, you know new arrangements uh, are really growing and, and, and looking very, very positive. Alex? Uh, the idea of having public-private partnerships is very critical. Uh, but again, uh, the issues around the pricing of water are quite sensitive uh, in most of countries and arrangements need to be found to be able to attract the private sector through uh, PPP arrangements. Uh, there are examples uh, that, are, uh, that can be looked at within Africa. For instance, Rwanda, with support from the African Development Bank, has just uh, developed a PPP project for water involving the private sector. Mm -hmm. um, so there are examples where this can be done, uh, but ultimately the role of government is really critical to ensure that the enabling environment is right, uh, to be able to attract financing from the commercial banks at, 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 at interest rates that are, um, are more attractive, uh, because if the interests are very prohibitive, which tends to be the case in most of those countries, water companies cannot really borrow, uh, because if they borrow, then of course they will not be able to pay, and especially if the water price itself is paid at a lower, that is not cost reflective. Uh, that becomes the challenge as well. So government is always setting the enabling environment, right? It's correct pricing, helping to price, uh, sending the right signals in terms of water pricing, but also making sure that no one is left behind. Mm -hmm. uh, those are really critical uh, issues. But I, I think what is also needed is there has to be an honest conversation at country level between government parties and the private sector. Dr. Toela? So I think in addition to what Alexa has said, I think I would I, I would really add um, this issue of institutional investors and how we, we get institutional investors to put more money into um, transboundary infrastructure. Um, what we have noted is that um, institutional investors such as pension funds are sitting on quite um, significant sums of money in the trillions of dollars. Um, and yet when you look at how much of that is actually being invested um, in infrastructure beyond um, buildings, um, you see that it's really probably less than 1% of, of the assets under management. Mm -hmm. So what we have done within AUD and EPAD in terms of trying to sort of um, encourage and, and, and really motivate for um, the use of domestic resources that exist in these various pension funds is what we call the 5% um, agenda. And the 5% agenda basically is looking at how do we um, come to a point where the investments that are being made by institutional investors into transboundary infrastructure um, are actually um, raised from that 1% of their assets under management, 5% mm -hmm. of assets under management. Dr. Toela, does the Ordinapod Instrument Service Delivery Mechanism, SDM, have an efficient trestle to address planning and preparatory deficiencies often encountered? Um, so the service delivery mechanism is something that we've been working on, I think, for the last uh, four or five years in terms of from the initial conceptualization to where we are now. 
Um, and we are at the point now where we are um, actually seeing um, results in terms of the approach of, of being able to engage project owners, analyze the projects, develop project concept memorandums that then um, clearly state um, what the challenges are that the projects are facing mm-hmm. and, and then being very specific and very clear about the interventions required and the kind of support um, that AUD and EPAD would then provide to these project owners and getting that sign-off between ourselves and the project owners for us to provide that transaction advisory support. So I think as we as we embark now on the implementation of PDAPAP2, we are uh, we're quite confident in terms of the ability of the service delivery mechanism to address these challenges um, of the planning and preparatory deficiencies um, that um, are encountered in the projects. Um, but having said that, um, we will always come back to the issue of financing and resourcing because um, you know these these um, advisory services come at a cost and, mm-hmm. and our challenge is always um, mobilizing the relevant resources that are required um, in order to be able to provide these services on a sustainable basis. Alex? Okay, th- thank you very much. Um, so, so I think one of the things that is, is needed and also that needs to be further developed is uh, further, uh, uh, sovereign uh, instruments, uh, particularly financing instruments, uh, such as uh, provisional guarantees uh, that are required, for instance, for countries to be able to uh, to finance uh, or borrow uh, or, or finance uh, to borrow to be able to finance different projects at at the country level. So uh, one of the issues that often arises is the issue of lack of guarantees, uh, particularly for trans- for water projects, mm-hmm. uh, because often, they, for instance, the national treasury is not is unable to provide guarantees, or maybe there's such such their fiscal space uh, for. Uh, as, as a country in terms of to be able to uh, attract further uh, debt, even if it's uh, low concession loans, is very constrained, is very limited uh, because some of the countries are highly indebted. So obviously the issue of sovereign instruments that can help to uh, to, 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 to mitigate and manage this sum of risk becomes a really issue. So I'm aware that the African Development Bank, for instance, has developed uh, sovereign instruments, several instruments for financing water uh, that countries now can be able to deploy uh, to be able to circumvent some of these things, some of these challenges. Uh, I think an increasing number of countries, for instance, now is, is, is beginning to issue bonds, municipal bonds, particularly uh, mm-hmm. at the country level. And, and, and these municipal bonds are often led either by the local government or by the utility. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for affording us your insight. Thank you. It's always a pleasure joining you in this show, Derek. Thank you so much for hosting me and looking forward to similar conversations around how best to develop Africa's water and sanitation sector infrastructure. Um, Thank you very much, Derek. I think um, in closing, um, what I would maybe want to just um, emphasize and echo is the fact that um, we acknowledge the fact that these transboundary projects um, are complex, but we also acknowledge the fact that they are very important and very relevant in terms of the um, regional and economic integration of the continent. Um, and, and in that regard, I think it becomes very important for us to be able to leverage um, partnerships, such as the partnership that exists between AUD and NEPAD and DWP and other actors um, to move these projects forward, um, leveraging the political championing of our heads of states, and then also looking at issues of resource mobilization, um, especially um, from domestic resources. That marks the end of our show. 
the more stepping stones attained, the more we advance towards the establishment of a fulfilling legacy as one African people. Boundaries are not the issue, but the failure to understand the essence of humanity is. If we embrace resource sharing and unity as a main pillar upon which economic and social landscapes hinge, we do this generation and generations coming after a lot of good. A resource shared is a resource gained. Sharing is right and doing it right is the African way. Join me again next week same time as we explore the structure beneath the structure right here on African Insights. My name is Derek Mazarura and it's bye for now.